John 18, verses 15 through 32. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But what if I said is right? Why do you strike me? Annas then sent him, bound, to Caiaphas the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken, to show by what kind of death he was going to die. The word of God. For the people of God. God. Our passage that we just read covers Peter's famous denials. And in those denials, we've seen him deny not just his allegiance with the Lord but to deny what that means. See, his disposition has been analyzed, his actions scrutinized, and he condemned by many who have read this account. However, let it be known to you that most people miss the fact that this is our very hearts and that it's supposed to show us something of our own souls. See, like Peter, it's quite tough to fear God and not man. Much easier said than done, in fact. And even more so, thinking about Peter, it is short-sighted to condemn a man who had not yet been inhabited by the Holy Spirit, which you have within you. See, his weakness is for our benefit. In Peter's denial before the cross, we should come 
become more thankful for the cross. For he was doing this before the cross, which he had not had the chance to be inhabited by the Spirit. For the Lord Jesus had said previously, I promise to send the helper. He is coming in my place. No, it should make us more thankful for the cross when we read this. For our Lord's work decimates the death that dwells within our own members and souls. And he put him on a tree as a curse for us. The work of the cross liberates us from the death that dwells when we deny Christ with our actions, with our words, and with our disposition. See, Peter's triple denial here begins in verse 17. Don't worry, I'm not going to reread everything. Continues in verse 25 and culminates in verse 27. Each one progressively shedding light upon our own hearts, minds, and souls. So in verse 17, we see the first denial. And in that first denial, it proves to us one thing. And if you think about it, it proves to us how fickle our trust is in the Lord. How easily shaken it is. See, Peter, at first, when he comes to the gate of Caiaphas, he's not admitted. In fact, it takes another disciple to speak to the doorkeeper and say, hey, he's good. He's with me. But this servant girl of the house, a doorkeeper, one with little, little rank and little responsibility, asked Peter a pretty simple question. You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? But her question, instead of being a simple one, cracks like thunder in the middle of the quiet night of Peter's soul and awakens something ancient within him. See, she's just a mere servant girl with no opportunity or power, just asking a curiosity question. She's a servant of the high priest who admits him on the word of another disciple. And so she knows, hey, you're probably one of his disciples also, and asks her a, a pretty simple question. But this causes Peter to fall flat on his face. It's that same notion for safety, that need, uh, for comfort, the, the need to escape danger, just like Adam and Eve in the garden in the presence of Yahweh after eating fruit, fell upon Peter. And just like our first family who failed to trust in the goodness and power of God, he stumbles. But his trip was even more egregious in a lot of ways. In many ways, to stumble at the sight of perceived danger, which perceived, uh, was not actual transgression like Adam and Eve. But in his actions, he proclaims that his allegiance to our Lord was not worth the truth in that moment. And so his trust, his trust was shaken. He failed to trust in the goodness of his Savior who would eventually purchase Peter's life with his blood. He states, I am not. Revealing the state of his heart as faulty, untrusting, and self-protecting. His sin of lack of trust in God rings all too familiar to all of us. See, we also see in Peter's second denial in verse 25, how it proves how short-sighted our hope is in the Lord. Not only is it, Fickle, our trust is easily shaken, but how short-sighted our hope is in our Lord. One of the officials, or the servants, and we're not told, that warmed themselves near the fire that Peter was warming himself near, uh, 
ask him a very, I mean, it's an obvious question. Think about it. Only the officials and the servants are there. And there's this guy with a, a different accent, dressed differently, and he's only by himself. And so curiosity gets the better of one of these guys. And he asks him the same question as the doorkeeper. You also are not one of his disciples, are you? It's a pretty understandable question. But on this cold night, where Peter no, no doubt considered the fire a blessing, and rather hope in the safety and comfort of his king, who was only steps away, whom he professed to die for in chapter 13, chose the comfort and warmth of the fire over this association with King Jesus. You see, he said, I am not. And his repeated denial rings in the night air as clear as a bell and leads him to yet another test of his character. See, his hope in the coming kingdom of God was not enough to ally himself to the man who would be slain for him. His relationship was not strong enough with Jesus nor his love for his friend to keep him in speaking truth. Now his pronouncement, which it should have been a courageous yes, and it was simple as that, was dampened into a small squeak of a denial of his Lord. Not that he denied that Jesus was the Christ. See, he had already confessed that. No, the knowledge of Jesus and his position are not an issue here. The lack of hope in Peter's heart, based on the dire circumstances around him, caused him to lose hope. The rest of the hope that he had, that remained within him in the midst of the second questioner. See, he was so short-sighted, he couldn't see past what might be. He was only fearful of his comfort fearful for his position. But Peter's lack of hope in the promised glory of the kingdom would, not be, would only be remedied by one thing and one thing only. Yet another man steps forward and asks the same question, but in this, this way, way more directly. He says, did I not see you in the garden with him? So the other two questioners provided the opportunity to be misunderstood by asking a double negative question. I don't know if you noticed that. But it was pretty easily misunderstood or ignored. So maybe we can let him off the hook, the first two. But this third one was direct. And he says, I am not. I was not. This question directly invades the facade that Peter had built as a bulwark of self-protection. It cuts right to the heart of the situation. And it shows us that Peter was unable to hope in his Lord. This man, a witness of Peter cutting off his relative's ears, pins Peter to the mat and makes him account for himself with his words. And yet Peter, in his insolence, denies his alignment with Christ once again. See, Peter's heart was out to protect himself, not to proclaim the good news. He did not take Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. He didn't take it to heart, and so was not equipped to handle any of these trials. He did not believe that God's goodness and strength was enough to save him from this trial. But his transgression was foretold after his foolish commitment to lay down his life for his Savior. His Savior says this gently in verse 36. He says, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. So he tells him, you cannot follow me. Another way to read that is you will not follow me. 
prophecy, followed up by a promise, but you will follow afterward. See, Peter's foolishness overtook him in the face of a direct witness, and he still sought to protect himself at all costs. Peter's trust might have been bolstered if he remembered the words of Christ in the garden as he prayed for him. The prayer to the Father to protect him and all of his disciples then and forever in chapter 17. The order, even Jesus' order to the arresting mob, the arresting mob to leave his disciples alone and take him. In verse 8 of chapter 18, the many teachings of the care of the Father for his people throughout the years of walking with Christ, they were not enough. Maybe these would have stayed his foolish denials, yet without the Spirit within him, without the death of Christ for him, without the ascent of Christ and his priestly work being done on earth and continued in heaven, Peter would need to rely on himself, which is an impossible task with dire consequences. In fact, I think that's what we're supposed to see, is that without the Spirit within him, Peter could not and would not have been able to fulfill these questions, honestly. But Christ's death on the cross means the death of death for all those who believe. So the penalty is erased. The cross of Christ bears a remedy for all of our sinful selfishness to save ourselves. Christ's work on the cross means that we now can trust all that he says and all that he has done for us. Christ's work on the cross provides for us an eternal and unfading hope of glory. And it also an, impen an impenetrable protection from the dangers that lurk within our own souls. See, the biggest problem within you, or for you, is within you. It's your sin. But now, the penalty of death is erased when it was nailed to the cross with our sake. And we can proclaim boldly the wisdom of the cross of Christ and our allegiance with him. For through it, our debt, our fear, our sin, our shame have all been decisively dealt with. Peter's issues before the cross will no longer be issues because it will no longer count against him. His, our lives now proclaim the one that no longer hangs on the tree, but the one that reigns in the throne on the throne of heaven forever. Our hearts now testify to the one that no longer subjects himself to the sin of others, but the one that covers our transgressions and remembers our sin no more. Our lips may trumpet now the name that defeated every denial that it could assail his divinity. But now they announce the grace that every and even deniers of Christ themselves may repent and believe and find freedom for Christ's great name. But however, more often than we care to admit, our lives seem bereft of the glories that Christ won on this cross. We find ourselves denying him with our actions. We may not deny him actively, but we live passively as if the cross of Christ does not affect us. See, lives bereft of the glory of Christ are lives that have not been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Let me, hear me, Christian, you are inhabited by the Spirit because the death of death in the death of Christ. His death and his life given in Easter, his ascension in 40 days afterward, 
Those are what you have hope in. It's a content. It's not a mere relationship. It's, it's a thing that we have in front of us. It's a word of Christ. Peter didn't even know it until the rooster crowed. He was told it would happen, and yet he did not believe. It was not his relationship that held him fast to Christ. It was Christ's word that showed him that he needed Christ forever. The cross provides for us the mechanism of ultimate trust in our Lord, the highest hope that we can have in his name, the everlasting promise of life in Christ Jesus. We Christians, those who love and rest in Christ, no longer live with any excuse to fear man. For denying Christ is not an option. For he has given us life and eternal life is all that we need. We must not fear the one that can kill the body, but fear the one who has power over body and soul. We no longer live with any excuses. We must only proclaim his glories. We don't even have the impulse within us. If you are inhabited by by the Holy Spirit, listen to me, you have no impulse within you to even deny his goodness. And so now as we live, let us learn to live with thankfulness and gratefulness to what he has done. For the rooster crowed in your life too. One day you woke up to how sinful you were. One day you were awakened by that call of Christ. And the word became flesh. It became real. And that word is what we stand upon. His spirit inhabits our souls and follows the Father's election and applies the Christ's perfect work to our imperfect lives so that he might set us apart for his glory and to proclaim his goodness. We can no longer be separated from that hand, for he put us there. So we proclaim what is folly to the world, but wisdom, but the wisdom of God. The cross liberates us from death, like it liberated Peter from death. And in the end, our hope, our trust, our lives are not tied to statements we speak or the works that we do, but to the work of Christ and the word that he has proclaimed, mine. Our hope is in Christ alone, who holds us fast to himself as his own body. When we fear our faith may fail, Christ will hold us fast. That's the promise. When the tempter will prevail, Christ will hold us fast. Let's pray.